You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good, I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents The Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Hello, Long Island, New York, and around the country. This is The Weekend Crunch. I'm the host, Errol Marks, and your co-host, Speedy PD. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9 The LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Speedy PD, what is up, my friends? Happy football season, everybody. For all you football fans out there, we made it after a long, very eventful offseason for a lot of these New York teams across the league with all the big trades that happened. But we finally made it. Thursday night football, an unexpected blowout for the Super Bowl champion LA Rams. But happy that football's back. Not optimistic for my Giants this season, but just happy to watch some football again. Jets, Giants, Sunday. I'm looking forward to it, eating some popcorn, sitting in front of the TV, and just really getting back to the football season. That's something that I'm looking forward to. College football started about a week and a half ago, so everything is going on. So much sports to get into. A little bit later in the show, we will be talking to WPLG sports anchor and reporter Clay Ferraro. He will be joining us. Clay is a guy that's very, very well known in Florida. Started off in a small radio station over there and then became one of the bigger anchors out there in Miami, so very happy to get Clay on the show. Very smart, very funny guy, very knowledgeable when it comes to football. So we'll get into the Dolphins and where he thinks they wind up in the AFC East. We have a lot to talk about with football tonight. We'll get into the Zach Wilson thoughts. Robert Sala early in the week was talking about possibly Zach Wilson playing in week one, really throwing the Baltimore Ravens off. And then all of a sudden, at the end of the week, he comes out and says that he won't be back until week four, the earliest. So I'm not surprised about that. This is what coaches do the week before a game. They try to throw the other team off so you're studying two quarterbacks and you're getting ready for two quarterbacks instead of one. So we will get into the whole Zach Wilson situation in just a few moments. Aaron Donald reportedly sent Rams retirement letters in May before getting that big, huge extension. I'm not surprised about this. This is what a lot of these superstar players try to do. This is how they draw the teams to open up their pockets. Aaron Donald was not retiring at his age. He's at the top of his game. He's going down as one of the best defensive players of all time. He's on that path to being the best. So why would he retire when he's at the top of his game? It doesn't make any sense. The Ravens and Lamar Jackson, that deal, it didn't happen. What does that mean for Lamar Jackson as the season starts on Sunday. Does he stay with the Baltimore Ravens in the offseason or does he get franchised and eventually get traded? We will get into that because there's a team in Miami that might be very interested in Lamar Jackson. So we'll get into that with our very good friend Clay Ferraro a little bit later in the show. Randy Levine finally speaks out for the New York Yankees organization. The president of the New York Yankees said some interesting things about Aaron Judge and where he sees Aaron Judge in the offseason and really the contract dispute going into the offseason this past year and now going into the offseason with no contract with Aaron Judge. So we will get into his thoughts on where the Aaron Judge contract situation is and where he thinks that Aaron Judge could be in the offseason. Beliefs 
across the NBA front office that Jazz purposely screwed Donovan Mitchell in trade. I know there's a lot of people that think, and including the Knicks, that Donovan Mitchell never went to the Knicks. He was never going to the Knicks. It was all a ploy because Donovan Mitchell didn't want to be a Jazz. So what did the Jazz do? What did Danny Ainge do? They traded him to a place he didn't want to be. We'll get into that a little bit later in the show. So why don't we get into the football season and get into the New York Jets? Because the Jets, really, for the last couple of weeks, have been the talk of the town. It isn't the Giants, because the Giants are rebuilding. They have a new coach, a new GM, a new style of football they have to build from the top to bottom. Robert Sala has been with the New York Jets now a second year. Joe Douglas has been here for three. And this offense is completely different. Completely shaped a different way. And you sit here and you thought after the preseason game against the Eagles, you thought Zach Wilson's season was over. His career as a New York Jet was over. And it was just a meniscus tear and a bruised knee. When the doctors went in there and all the stories came out and the press got the stories out from the doctor that did the surgery, it was told that it wasn't that bad of a tear in his meniscus. That he could be back before week one. Early this week, the press was talking to Robert Sala and talking about Zach Wilson. And Robert Sala said that Zach Wilson could absolutely start week one with the New York Jets. It might not be Joe Flacco. And then as Thursday came along and the final press conference before practice on Friday and getting ready for Sunday week one, Robert Sala after the practice said, Zach Wilson won't be back until week four. So what does that tell you and the press that were speaking that Robert Sala's playing games, Zach Wilson is going to be back week one, then he won't be back until week four. All these stories, we don't know when he's coming back. This is football, guys. This is an advantage kicker for Robert Sala. Robert Sala is not going to tell any team who's hurt, who's not, until really he doesn't have to say anything until the day of the game. I told everybody that I didn't believe Zach Wilson will be back in week one. That doesn't mean he'll be back in week four. He could be back in week two. He could be back in week five. But of course it's a story because this is an important year for Zach Wilson and this offense. They signed Dwayne Brown, a man that hasn't been hurt in four years. He was a Pro Bowl player last year, five-time Pro Bowl player, one-time All-Pro player. He gets hurt at practice about a week ago, shoulder injury. He could be out multiple games. He might not be back until Zach Wilson comes back in week four. The dysfunction of the New York Jets, which we always talk about, they can't stay healthy, they have no luck, they lose important players before the season even starts. Thank God it wasn't a tear in his ACL or a tear in his shoulder where he was going to miss the whole season. But we don't know when Dwayne Brown's going to come back. What we do know is Robert Sala is one of those coaches that are not going to give you all the information the week of the game. He will not do that. He is a typical savvy head coach that will make sure that he protects his team and protects any advantage going into that game. Now, I don't know what's going to happen on Sunday. The chances of the Jets pulling off a win against the Baltimore Ravens, I would say 5-1. to one. I don't think it's any possibility they win on Sunday. Unless Lamar Jackson, the contract dispute, tired of the Baltimore Ra- Who knows? He comes out flat and lays up a lousy goose egg. Now, I'm not putting down the Jets. I think the Jets have a very talented team. I'm a Jet fan. I've compared their talent to the Buffalo Bills. I think they have just as much talent as the Buffalo Bills does. But Buffalo has something the Jets don't have, at least what we know now. And that is a franchise quarterback. Zach Wilson won't be back until week four. We don't know if he's the franchise quarterback. 
He might not be. We know Josh Allen is a franchise quarterback. So it doesn't matter how much talent you have on a team. Ask the Cleveland Browns. If you don't have a quarterback, you can't win. So with the talent that the Jets have at running back, the talent now with the youth of the wide receivers that they have, the secondary that's rebuilt with Michael Carter as the slot corner and Sauce Garner on one side and DJ Reed on the other. Whitehead as the new safety. And Joyner, if he could actually stay healthy this year. Maybe Sherwood. Maybe they move Bryce Hall to the safety position before the season's end. I don't know what Robert Sala is planning to do with this team. What I do know is Zach Wilson needs to come back week four, no later, get on that field and play well. Because if he doesn't speed, the Jets... In 2023, NFL drafts will be looking for another franchise quarterback. Yeah, and especially if injury risk wasn't his major concern coming out of BYU. There was issues with that with Justin Fields. There was issues with that with some of the quarterbacks in the 2020 draft, not with the case of Zach Wilson. And now a second injury, a knee injury like this, you would want to be able to manage it to the best of your ability. So week four seems like an opportunistic time considering what all these Jets fans were reacting to was after the preseason game. But still, it's a knee injury. He's a guy that has to move around a lot. They have to manage it cautiously. I think week four is a pretty fair timeline for that kind of thing, especially... You don't think it's long? Seven weeks for a meniscus tear? A slight meniscus tear? I remember when Ron Artest, when he played for the Indiana Pacers, he teared his meniscus, and it was a bad tear. He was only out for two weeks. He came back after two weeks and played in a basketball game. This is seven weeks for a quarterback that had a partial tear in his meniscus. It was a slight tear. You wonder, though, too, if being that football is much more of a contact sport than basketball is, the way they get hit, too, and especially with Dwayne Brown out now, too. The Ravens are going to blitz a lot. Cleveland's got that massive pass rush that they play in week two. You don't want Zach Wilson taking all that extra hits with a bunch of backup offensive tackles in there trying to make it. You're going to either have to shift one of your guards to play tackle or just try to play Max Mitchell, and I don't know how ready Max Mitchell's going to be with Dwayne Brown out now, too. George Font can hold up one side okay, but still, it's a lot to be able to trust, so I don't know if the Jets want to run that risk in. Games are not going to be guaranteed to win anyway. The Bengals, the Browns, and the Ravens all have talented rosters, so that might be the sign of caution that they're doing. As far as Salah, yeah, I agree with you. I think they're doing a lot of deception when it comes to making it a game plan type thing, because the Ravens have a lot of matchup advantages in this game. The Jets had a lot of trouble stopping the run last year. The Jets had a lot of trouble stopping tight ends last year, and those are the two biggest strengths of the Ravens' offense, so Robert Salah is doing everything he should be doing as a smart coach to be able to not give the Ravens that kind of edge and be deceptive in that way in order to get some kind of advantage. The game's at home. Maybe they do steal it. Maybe you're right. Maybe Lamar, something's in his head with the contract. I don't know. That's a chance. For maybe the they can't run the, the ball against the Jets. It's something that the Jets have been weak in last year. I right. mean, the Jets were one of the worst run-stopping teams in the NFL, maybe because they had no pass rush. So they were trying to use Quentin Williams to come up the middle to try to get to the quarterback. This year, that with Carl Lawson and maybe Jermaine Johnson and some of the young players that they have on the other side of the ball, maybe maybe they could get to the quarterback. Maybe they don't have to use Quinton Williams and Rankins, the guys that are good run-stopping guys. And then they bring in Quan Alexander, somebody that actually is very good at stopping the run, and C.J. Mosley. So this team could absolutely be one of the best defenses in the league. The questions are, can they get to the quarterback? And two, is Zach Wilson the quarterback of the future for this organization. And that's only up to Zach Wilson to show everybody that he can be. Because right now, we're unsure. Jet fans are unsure what he is. He is going to miss the first three games of the season. Nevertheless, the guy that's going to be starting this weekend is Joe Flacco, ex-Baltimore Raven, a guy that's never played against his former team. The last time he played for this team, I remember, 
was about four years ago. It's been a long time. We won a Super Bowl with this team. It's not too far-fetched that Joe Flacco can go into MetLife Stadium and surprise the country, surprise the world, and knock off his former team. Right. You remember, too, he was with the Broncos, he was with the Eagles, and never really got to play much there because he kept getting beaten out for those spots, too. So he never got a chance to really get into a groove and get in that schedule where they could play the Ravens again. So now he gets his chance, finally, after being benched halfway through the 2018 season. A lot of people, including me, thought he should have been brought in that playoff game, too, against the Chargers when they were shut out in the first half. Mm-hmm. It's a big game for Joe Flacco, and I think he has a lot to prove. I think he wants to prove to his former team that he can still play. He wants to prove to the Jets. And every single team in the NFL asked why they passed up on him when they could have brought him in as the starting quarterback or as a backup quarterback to help out their organization. So I think the Jets really trust that Joe Flacco could go out there and, and put up good numbers and help them at least compete and possibly win week one on Sunday. It's going to be a very interesting next couple of weeks, and I'm looking forward to seeing Zach Wilson on the field. I can't wait to watch Sauce Garner. We do this every year when the football season, we will have our picks of the week. Me and Speedy, before the end of the show, we'll pick three games and make our picks for those three games so you can follow us and see who is in the lead by the end of the season. Last year, I think I was. You are. It'll be fun. We do this every single year, so stay tuned for that. Before the end of the show, we will do that. Aaron Donald reportedly sent the Rams a retirement letter. It happened in May, which pretty much told them that he was interested in possibly retiring, and then all of a sudden, they give him a four-year extension over $100 million. And this is what always happens. Nobody thought including the L.A. Rams, thought that Aaron Donald was going to actually retire. Because this man is still at the top of his game. Unless he had concussion problems, which I haven't seen that. This man could still dominate the game as well as anybody at any position. So when I heard this story, I left. This man is going to make a lot of money. Not only with endorsements. This is his third contract extension in about three years he's going to ask for another extension if he's still at the top of his game just like von miller von miller got 120 million dollars 60 million dollars guaranteed for a 34 year old aaron donald's a better player than von miller so just imagine if aaron donald wants to play another four years after he decides to opt out of this contract two years from now he's gonna get another one he's going to make just as much as von miller did maybe more by the time the contract is talked about So I'm not surprised about that story. The whole Lamar Jackson thing, I don't think this is a story. I believe that Lamar Jackson is done with the Baltimore Ravens. I think that everything that they have done to him, the offer that they gave him in the offseason, they matched it to be one of the highest contracts in NFL history, but they didn't want to give him guaranteed money like Kyler Murray, like Aaron Rodgers, like all these other top-end quarterbacks. Even Dak Prescott got more guaranteed money than he did. This is the guy that won the MVP. He's taken his team to the playoffs every single year but one, and the Baltimore Ravens forgot about that. So what is he doing? He's upset. He didn't want to negotiate any more deals. I don't think he had any thought on Friday that he was going to close in on a deal. I think he's going to play out this season, hopefully stays healthy, bet on himself, a.k.a. Aaron Judge, and come to the end of the season, tell the Baltimore Ravens to go fly a kite. They could franchise him, absolutely, and they probably will, and he's going to tell them, I'm not playing a franchise tag like every other player. Trade me. And there's a team in Miami, I believe, after they get sick of Tua this year, because I think this is the end of that whole Tua plan, a.k.a. Hawaiian Tebow, he's going to be gone, and they're going to be looking for a new star quarterback. They don't have a number one draft pick next year, thanks to the owner. So they're going to be looking for a star quarterback. And Lamar Jackson, who lives in Miami, trains in Miami, why wouldn't he want to go and play for his hometown team? 
it also seems like, too, that it's going to not even be dependent on how the Ravens perform this season either, that Lamar Jackson's done with them. Like, the Ravens did everything right except for maybe giving more of the guaranteed money in terms of the quarterback process. I thought they were going to be too stingy at the time, and they did. They gave him a lot of money. They just didn't want to give him enough of the guaranteed money. So it seems like even if they do well in the playoffs, even if they go to the conference championship game or anything like that, it seems like Lamar will still be on his way out because it seems like he He doesn't want to be there. Yeah, it seems like he is frustrated with them as a whole for whatever reason with the guaranteed money, with maybe not giving the wide receivers, trading with Hollywood Brown, whatever it may be. There's a lot of factors to that and who knows, maybe if the Ravens have the injury issues they did last year or they start off slow, who knows? Maybe he gets dealt right at the deadline for all we know. I don't believe he will be traded. I don't think he will either because I think the Ravens will be a lot better than last year. I expect them to make the playoffs. I expect them to be the number one team in that division. They have the most talent. They actually have the running backs this year. J.K. Dobbins will be back this year. So he is going to play. He was a star his first year and I expect him to be as good as he was coming back from an ACL tear. But what I have seen of this Baltimore Ravens team is wherever Lamar goes, this team is going. They built their offense through Lamar Jackson's style, his talent, his legs. And John Harbaugh is a very good coach, but he's only as good as his quarterback. There's going to be a lot of talk as the season progressively moves forward. And Lamar Jackson has one of those years where he's an MVP candidate and he gets this team in one of the hardest divisions in football. And it's a hard division to be the number one seed in their division. It's going to be hard to sell Lamar Jackson in the offseason to re-sign with them. And it's going to be hard to replace them because the Ravens have had a lot of trouble finding quarterbacks throughout their, granted, shorter franchise history, but still, that's not their strength. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be talking to WPLG sports anchor and reporter Clay Ferraro here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to the show from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. Well, 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 we finally get this guy on the show, and we're going to talk a lot of Miami Dolphins football with him. We are now talking to WPLG Sports anchor and reporter Clay Ferraro. Clay, what's going on, bud? I am about to say the four greatest words in the English language. I am watching football. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. So I mean, could not be better, my guys. How we doing? We're good, good. man. How is your family doing from this whole pandemic? I'm doing great. I've got three little ones, all uh, 17 months apart. I don't know what on earth my wife and I were thinking. We, at one point, we had three under three. And so they're right now eight, seven, and about to turn six. And so I'm saying all that is, is background because you talk about a crazy time in your life and your formative years to be going through all of this. So we're doing well. And I think we're feeling like we're on the other side of this thing and mm. trying to figure out what this new normal is going to be in this world for these little ones. But yeah, we're, we're good right now. There's, Get, getting used to the swing of school this year. There's no such thing as normal in this world. <laughs> That's so true. That's <laughs> there's so true. nothing normal about this world because yeah, I remember yeah. about six or seven months ago you couldn't even go to the city without having shots now all of a sudden people are going to ball games and it doesn't matter who's sitting where it doesn't matter if you have shots or not I remember when Lou Lamorello over here with the Islanders sent players away like Bodie Wild he had to play over there in Germany because he couldn't play for the Islanders because he wouldn't get shots so now all of a sudden that changed the states and the politics have changed everything and now all of a sudden there is no more COVID everybody can go out they don't have 
have to wear masks anymore. Figure that one out. I don't understand it. You go different places and you feel like sometimes there are different rules. Wherever you go, you kind of have a mask in the back pocket just in case. So I go to Dolphins Camp and do we have to wear it now? <laughs> we went into open locker room for the first time last week. And I'm sitting there thinking, I was like, man, last time I was in an open locker room was Super Bowl for Kansas City Chiefs and San Francisco 49ers. It's been that long ago. You're right. I mean, there is no such thing as normal in this world. It almost seems like what normal is for that particular day seems to change by the day and, and by the plate. I'm thankful that we're in a place where we're getting back to where we feel somewhat normal and, and I can walk into an NFL locker room or a Major League Baseball clubhouse now and, and get back to doing what we love in person. So why don't we get into something that you love and that's football. Let's get into your Dolphins, the AFC East, and this AFC East is really open. Besides the Buffalo Bills, we don't know what the Patriots are, we don't know what the Jets are, and we don't know what Tua and the so-called high-flying Miami Dolphins are going to be with Waddle and Tyreek Hill. So you are in Miami. What are the thoughts right now for the Dolphin fans and the Dolphins organization? Cautiously optimistic. For people who have been down here for a long time, I got here back in 2014, but people who have been down here a lot longer than that, they know, hey, the 72 Dolphins were great. And Dan Marino's second season, you go to the Super Bowl, man, that's great. There's a whole lot of these to come, and it hadn't been that way. What's funny is the Miami Heat have kind of garnered the most attention in this town for a long time now. I think everybody would agree, all things being equal, this is still a football town. And we go back a couple years ago, and and the Miami Hurricanes were on a Mm -hmm. fun run. I say all that because if the Dolphins are as good as they've looked in training camp, and I'm not saying we're putting a whole lot of stock in what we saw in training camp relative to the regular season, but if they continue to show that sort of potential, man, this place is going to go crazy, and they're going to embrace them. So how are people feeling, man? People are excited. And yet I think there's also cautious optimism, cautious excitement, because we had to deal with years of, is this the year that we finally find out if Ryan Tannehill is a franchise quarterback? There were like (laughs) five of those. This is the first time since the early 2000s last year that the Dolphins back-to-back winning seasons. And with as crazy as things felt from the outside looking in, talent-wise, the trajectory seemed to be good. And then everything happened in the offseason, and now you kind of hit the reset button, and yet that reset button has entailed a massive upgrade in talent at certain spots that really needed it. It's a lot of words to say cautious optimism, but I also think that I don't remember seeing a team this talented out there in training camp. And so I think there's a reason for that cautious optimism. Mike McDaniel wanted an offensive coach for the first time in a while, probably since they had Joe Philbin. They brought in a lot of different pieces trying to create a 49ers-like offense. What have been your impressions so far of what you've seen? And do you think his scheme is very similar to what you've seen in San Francisco with Kyle Shanahan? I've been blown away by Mike McDaniel the person. This guarantees nothing. And I feel like I I have to say this every time because invariably you'll have somebody that says, let's just wait to see when he loses his first game or all of his (laughs) jokes are going to be funny. Like, no, we get it. Like we, (laughs) it's okay, but it's okay to enjoy what we've had in front of us. And so what I've noticed with him is he has this disarming way. And it's not just with us in the media, it's with players. And you talk to players and you can get the straight scoop. If they speak in cliches and like, it's all stuff you've heard before, then kind of chalk it up and say, all right, we'll believe it when we see it. What I've been surprised by is everybody has a story with him and a way that he has connected to them individually and made them feel special. And like, I think there's something to be said for that when you have a head coach who is not going to stand up in front of a room and scare anybody. He's five foot five, 160 pounds, soaking wet, but smart 
in a way that he doesn't have to be the smartest guy in the room. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. So in my interactions with him, in our interactions with him, I've been blown away by Mike McDaniel, the person. I've been really impressed by how he embraces the teaching side of all of this and understands the importance and things that players have said is that he gets us. Well, that doesn't mean that, oh, he's going to be buddy-buddy. No, it means that he understands how modern and younger players' brains work. He calls it the ADD generation. And (laughs) you have to get guys' attention. And here's a perfect example. He told a story at the introductory news conference. He said, look, my first job was basically like as an assistant to the assistant wide receivers coach. I'm a five and a half foot guy, 23 years old out of Yale with zero meaningful experience. And my job in Houston was to tell Andre Johnson how to be a better football player. <laughs> you tell me how that worked out. And and he said, what I quickly found out was if you can reach them and show them, this is where you're great. This is where you can be even greater. I will show you how, and it will make both of us a lot of money along the way. You can get people people's attention and it's it's so simple but it's so honest and and it's that kind of stuff where he just finds a way to reach people and that's all important so that's a lot of words to say our interactions with him great my interactions with players who have spoken about him really good but yes we all understand that that all goes away if they lose 38 to 10 on sunday we are talking to wplg miami sports anchor and reporter clay ferraro clay tyree kill has really spoken highly of himself all off season <laughs> we all know who he is we follow him on youtube we follow him on his podcast he's got a great personality what he has said about jalen waddle is he believes that this is the best dude as far as he's concerned in the NFL when it comes to speed and ability. So what are your thoughts, what you have seen at training camp of both players? Pure speed, Jalen Waddle is fast. But what I found really interesting was both Kayvon Wallace and Carlton Davis. They have never seen a player as fast as Tyreek Hill. They said that's a different kind of speed. And this wasn't after a preseason game. This was after these joint practices. And I've found in recent years that you can get a lot more out of these joint practices relative to the first string guys because you've got a lot more good on good out there. Yes, the one-on-ones, it's heavily slanted towards the offense, but there's a lot of team drill out there too. And you also, I think, get more honest opinion about evaluating the guys across from you after those because it's like this is not a meaningful game. So when I hear Carlton Davis and Kayvon Wallace say that after a full week and then a game, of going up against Tyreek Hill, it catches my attention. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me one bit if they do end up being the fastest duo in the NFL because you have the fastest player, the guy who plays the fastest in the NFL in Tyreek Hill at that position. And Jalen Waddle's really, really fast too. So how will that look in the offense? And the thing that I'm sure you guys have heard over and over, mm-hmm. well, what does it matter if Tua can't get him the ball? <laughs> how many times if you go back over the last couple of years where Patrick Mahomes throws a deep ball and Tyreek Hill is coming back for it? And a lot of that is because Patrick Holmes is just ridiculously gifted when the play breaks down. And so he's rolling out and they're in scramble drill. And that's where a lot of these big plays happen. Where I think Tua can and has to connect on big plays with these guys, throw the ball 55, 60 yards in the air, but the timing is what's going to be imperative with him. He's not going to be able to roll out and buy the sort of time and throw off balance 60 yards in the air like Patrick Mahomes did. And that's where Mike McDaniel is going to come in. And, and I think that's where you want to design plays 
where Tyree Kill wins at the line of scrimmage, and you give to a, a very obvious read to get him the ball in stride. Same thing with Jalen Waddle. We'll see how much Mike Kosicki is involved now that he ended up staying down here. We'll see if he plays more as a wide receiver or a tight end. Those are the types of plays that are going to open up when you have guys that fast, because it's not just, yeah, he can throw the ball deep, Tyree Kill can get deep. If it's timed right, it's great, but the underneath stuff opens up. I'm curious to see how McDaniel brings all of that together, and if Tua is able to progress and get these guys the ball on time and on target. So do you believe in Tua as much as Tyreek Hill does? <laughs> I would like to say I believe in my own family members as much as Tyreek Hill believes in Tua. And this is one thing, too, I've said. My feature today was actually on Tyreek Hill and how teammates love the guy. And the one thing they've said about him is he's a superstar, but he has a way of making everybody else feel like they're hanging out with somebody who isn't a superstar. He wants to be the everyman and connect with everybody. And that's great. And I think that's part of what's being said about Tua. I think everybody around here knows, and I'm sure they feel it in that building, Tua hasn't exactly been set up for success. And I'm not making any excuses for him. I compare him to Jimmy Garoppolo and what we've seen from him up to this point. Like, I think that's the comp. Do I think he can take another step? Sure. But I don't think he's been very good to this point in his career. With that said, he hasn't been set up for success as far as having weapons, for having an offense properly designed for what he does well, and also, frankly, with having people around him that believe in him. And so I think there's a big push for that, not just with the coaching staff, but obviously when you have somebody as dynamic and as commanding of a presence as Tyreek Hill, it's important to have him on your side. So yeah, I think all of that's important. I think all of it matters. I hope that they're able to fulfill that because life's a lot better and business is a lot better when the Dolphins are good, but that's going to be a big part of this. I think we could say the same about the Jets. All <laughs> the optimism with the Jets lies on one quarterback who's not going to play until probably week four. So happy-go-lucky for all us Jeff fans and waiting for Zach Wilson to step on the field again. This offseason, we saw the Dolphins get a penalty for tampering this offseason with Tom Brady and Sean Payton. Steven Ross lost a first-round pick and got fined as a result. If Tua Tagovailoa and Mike McDaniel down the road don't work out, could you still see them try to pursue that? If Brady does stay, he might retire. If he doesn't, could you see him pursue him maybe even next year or the year after? So pursuing Brady may be tricky only because the punishments that have come down from the investigation. Are you also hearing that Tom Brady and his wife are not getting along because Tom Brady decided to come back to football when he promised his wife he was done with football. They are not going to go through another five years of Ryan Tannehill with Tua Tagovailoa. Every year, man, it was, is this the year we finally find out? Nope, he got hurt again. The offensive line stuck. They're not going to go through that again because they have, even with losing the picks that they did, they still have a way to move around, I think, and make a move for a quarterback if Tua does not pan out. So, do I think it'd be Brady? Probably not. But I do think this is Tua's shot. And I don't know if I can say definitively it's his last shot, but as long as things don't collapse completely around him, I think this is his last best chance to prove that he's a franchise quarterback. And if he doesn't, I do think they would look at moving on. And by the way, I don't know that you can put any sort of a win total that he has to reach or numbers that he has to hit stats wise in order to be deemed a success. I think you have to watch objectively and look at what's going on around him and say, okay, is this a guy who is making the type of plays, making the type of reach? in this offense to lead you to the Super Bowl? If the answer is no, or if the answer is I don't know, you got to move on, and I think they would. We are talking to WPLG Miami sports anchor and reporter Clay Ferraro. It's so interesting you speak about Tua the way you do, and the questions really lie between Lamar Jackson. If you look at Lamar Jackson, he wants guaranteed money. Lamar Jackson might not get that contract, and in the offseason, he is a free agent. Now, we all know that Miami 
does not have a first-round draft pick. So no matter what happens to Tua this year, they are not getting a quarterback in the first round unless they trade back into the first round and they move up in the top 10, top 15. It doesn't seem likely. So if Lamar Jackson becomes a free agent, that would make a lot of sense. If Lamar wants to go somewhere else, Miami could be the team where he want to go to because of Tyreek Hill and Waddle. And I think this year is so very important for Tyreek Hill and Waddle to show people how fun it could be to play over there if Tua isn't the guy. What are your thoughts to Lamar Jackson or maybe even Jimmy Garoppolo? He becomes available in the offseason. Let me add another wrinkle to that. Lamar Jackson's from down here Mm -hmm. and he trains down here. Mm -hmm. And we were out there one day when he was just throwing balls around with Hollywood Brown down here. There are a lot of connections and absolutely, I think there would be any number of reasons why it would make a ton of sense and they could go that direction. I don't know about the Jimmy Garoppolo thing. When you have a quarterback that you're actively looking to replace, which clearly the 49ers were, and that was with McDaniel there, it just makes me think, good guy, good leader, guys in the locker room love him. But I think a lot of the problems that we've seen from Jimmy Garoppolo up to this point in his career, which is decent enough arm, can make some throws, not a guy who's going to win you a game with his arm strength, and also a guy that unfortunately makes big mistakes at the worst possible time. Those are some of the things, guys, that we've seen with Tua. I think the hope is that Tua's able to progress and doesn't bring out the Jimmy G in him again. But (laughs) if that happens, I don't know that's the route they would go. Now to your point, if the options are so limited, maybe they would look at bringing back Tua for another year. But I just don't see them in a mediocre year with mediocre or worse quarterback play standing pat and saying, nah, you know what? We're good with this. We're going to get one more run. The talent around him is too good. Mm. The talent level on offense is much higher than it's been in a long time that I can remember. You look at the receivers. Here's a perfect example. They cut Preston Williams. Well, Mm. two years ago, Preston Williams was the number two receiver, and there was talk about him eventually being a number one. And this year, you see guys side by side, and Eric Azucama, the fourth round pick, was significantly better than Preston Williams. And Cedric Wilson, Wadley Tyreek Hill, you upgrade the offensive line with Connor Williams at center and Tron Armstead at left. Like, I'm throwing out a lot of names, but these are big names. These are guys that are talented. And if Tua can't make it work with that, then I think you're going to have to take a serious look at whether he's your guy moving forward. How will Wes Welker coaching help on the offensive side and Patrick Sertan on the defensive side of the ball as assistant coaches? Wes is a ball of energy out there, man. He's fun to watch. He looks like he can still play. My first experience with Wes Welker is a free agent. Garth Brooks, he did this celebrity charity flag football thing, and Garth was the quarterback. And just the coolest guy and doing so much good stuff with these kids. Well, Wes Welker was out there. I was like, oh, well, that's cool. Like, Wes is coming back home to give back to the community and hang out. Little did we know that a few years later, he'd be back down here coaching. I think his energy is important. I think we're still in the honeymoon period. I mean, everything is rosy and everybody's undefeated. But you watch him out there and you see him interacting with the players and the attention to detail. And you look at him and you're like, man, this guy was in his era, one of the best receivers in the league. I can take something from that. Patrick Sertan, man, it's great to have him back. I think everybody knows, and this goes back to what I was saying with this kind of being a football town. When you're from South Florida or when you do something big down here, people remember you. And so when everybody comes back, and that's why when you go to the University of Miami, you are a cane for life. Well, same thing goes for Patrick Sertan, everything he did with the Dolphins and doing stuff down here with high school. Like, it's so cool to see these guys out there. And hopefully it plays out well because these are guys who I think fans would latch on to very quickly. And business is good when they're winning. Combine all that together, it gives us some good stuff to talk about. We are talking to WPLG, Miami sports anchor and reporter, Clay Ferraro. The strength of the Dolphins. Dolphins offense for years has been their running backs. And the guy that I really loved the pickup in the offseason was Chase Edmonds. I watched him on Arizona last year. He did fight injury throughout the season. John Connor really won the job, but Chase Edmonds back and forth played so well for the Arizona Cardinals. Now Miami brings him
him in. I really believe he's their number one. He's been fighting injury, I heard a little bit in training camp, but I believe this guy, if he stays healthy, could be a thousand yard rusher. He could be a guy that can catch in the backfield. I think he's a very good player at the position that he plays. What are your thoughts to Chase Edmonds and the pickup by the Miami Dolphins? Everything you said, as far as the injury goes, he should be fine this weekend, but I do think it's a guy who does have some issues with that historically, so what I think they're trying to do with him and also with Teron Armstead is they're managing this, and so you didn't see T.A. a whole lot out there. He feels great, he feels fresh, and same thing with Chase Edmonds. I think he's going to be really good as long as he stays healthy. You talk about the upgrade at the receiver position talent-wise. The same could be said about the running back position, and it's like the last couple of years, Miles Gaskin, Mm. for what they were expecting out of him, he did a really good job. I don't think he could have asked for much more than what you got out of him, and yet, in many ways, he was their number one running back at times. And now he's number three on the depth chart, can catch balls out of the backfield, but you're going to hope that Chase Edmonds and Raheem Mostert are going to pick it up. I like the running back situation a lot more than what we've seen in the past, and it's going to allow a guy like Miles Gaskin to do what he's best, go out and get in space, and maybe catch the rock a bit. But yeah, I mean, there's a reason why they cut Sony Michelle. I think they really like the other guys in that room, and Chase Edmonds and Raheem Mostert in particular, two guys that could break big plays at any time, and that's the element they've been missing. They now have that explosive element with the receiver and the running back position. People are excited and with good reasons so far. So last question, Miami Dolphins record, are they a playoff team? 10-7 and yes. And here's the thing, I think they sneak in with the seventh spot. I think okay. they are significantly better than they were last year, but the AFC is just such a stinking gauntlet. And you can make the case for 11 playoff yeah. teams. It wouldn't surprise me if it's the Indianapolis win the whole thing. You can look at each of those top 11 or so and say, yeah, that team could do this. Yeah, that team could do that. I feel really good about what I've seen out of Miami to this point. And yet I think you have to understand the competition level is going to be really high. So I have them sneaking in at 10 and 7. And who knows, maybe they're that hot team at the end of the year that catches fire. Clay, I definitely want to get you on again. As the season progressively moves forward, the AFC East is going to be very interesting as the Patriots, as the Bills, as the Jets and the Dolphins will be fighting for that lead number one team in that division. But I think it's Buffalo's to lose. But there are so many what-ifs with all three of these teams, with the Patriots, the Jets, and the Miami Dolphins. Miami is stacked. The Jets are stacked when it comes to their rosters. The Patriots aren't as stacked as they usually are going into the season. They've lost a lot of pieces in the offseason. Van Noy, some of the corners that they've lost, and some of the weapons that they lost. It's going to be very interesting to see where Miami is, where all these teams are going to be as the season progressively moves forward. We really appreciate the time, and we're going to get John soon. You're awesome. Thank you, Clay. It's so beautiful. This to you over here. You're talking all these football. <laughs> it's so great. It's here. <laughs> Alright, guys. Take care. Clay Ferraro. It's like Peter and Chris, Speedy. I don't know if he's related. I know Peter and Chris when I played hockey with them. They both played in the NHL. But very happy to have Clay on for the first time. Very smart guy. Very funny guy. A lot of insight. Not only with Miami, but all of football. And he really likes this team. He, he thinks that Miami is a 10-win team. I think he's a little crazy, but they're going to be talented. They're going to be fun to watch. Tyreek and Waddle, both players are going to be fast and fun to watch. Yeah, that's what they're calling this team. They're calling it the Legion of Zoom is the nickname they want for this offense if they are that fast, but at least have an offensive line that could block. Otherwise, we're not going to take advantage of the full speed and the full potential of this offense between the receivers and the running backs. When we come back, some worldwide West. Yes, it's Moneyline Mania here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Mr. Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy PD. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9 
the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, which is Apple, WWSRN, or Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. Chaz is not here today. We have Mr. Worldwide West, as we call this segment Moneyline Mania. This is Moneyline Mania. Which has and the crew. Well, we have Mr. Blackhawk, or we call him Worldwide. How are you doing, Wes? How are you and your family doing? How is your son doing? He's doing great. And thanks for asking. Everybody's doing good, and football season's in high gear, and weather's starting to cool down, and Thank God. Kansas City's a great place to be. You can smell the smoke burn ends in the air and getting ready for kickoff. I love the fall. I love the winter. I love the cold, and, and I love New York right now. All day, it was in the 70s. I wanted to go down to 60 and 50. It's probably going to take a couple weeks to do that. Last year, it was in the 80s and 90s. It was so hot. But after the rainstorm that we had recently, it's just been better. It's been cooler. We have a breeze. So I'm actually excited that finally we can smell the leaves falling and the fall coming right around the corner. So I'm excited for that. But I know you're excited for college football this weekend and some NFL football. Finally, after we saw the Rams just get their butts whipped on Thursday, now we have a fantastic bunch of games coming up on Sunday. So are you ready to get into it? I am ready to get into it. And it's been a while since I've given a loser on this show. Three weeks in a row, I've given out college underdogs that have gone on to win outright, including Florida State last week. Florida beating Utah outright. The first week we called out Northwestern in that dog win over in Ireland. I'm looking at NFL tomorrow. It's NFL season. There's a couple things going on. On our Discord page on Chicago Options Trader, it's investing and smart money management. That's the basis of the page having to do with the stock market and on the sports page. So I would advise all the listeners, look at what is your strategy? Are you here to gamble and just have some fun? Be reckless do whatever you got to do that's fine with me just don't get angry when i go three and one and i blew your four-way parlay <laughs> are you investing are you trying to grow value are you looking at this like a 401k because that's my jam that's really where we're living if you were to look at your 401k and the growth this year most people wouldn't be happy you can look at the sports betting and the sports investing as six to fifteen percent gain this week you're going to find a way to win or are you looking for income there's a system to where you're investing the same way managing the same way but actually pulling cash out on money monday looking at these games i got a couple system plays that we're trying out. So first off, I'm going to track it. So every week on this show, even if I can't make it, Chaz is going to bring the information. We are going to bet on every single underdog. We're paper trading. Every single underdog, money line, $1. What is the balance going to be at the end of the year? Because I believe that you come out on top doing it. Just money line on all the underdogs. The other system play that I am actually going to put into action, what a system play is, is if this and this and this are going on, you bet this no matter what. There's no decision to be made. If the sky is blue and the helmets are purple and they're on the road, you bet that team. So this system play is in any game where the point spread is seven and a half or higher, and it happens to be a division game in the first six weeks, you bet the under. You bet the game under on that play. So there is not one this week, although we were flirting with it on that Pittsburgh and Cincinnati game. That spread kind of got up there, but that's actually the official play that I'm going to throw out there. I like Pittsburgh in this game. We're looking at a division matchup, and it is a six and a half point spread. Pittsburgh's O-line, it's well documented how rough it is. 
I blame some of their O-line performance on Ben Roethlisberger should have retired one year too early. Mm. In both of the matchups last year, Roethlisberger threw four interceptions. I'm sorry, but you're going to lose those games if that's your quarterback's performance. You can't blame the O-line. I think Pittsburgh, their defense is phenomenal. Nothing's changed there. Just as good as it was last year. You look at Najee Harris, top five running back, or will prove to be so, right in the past. And I don't think that Trubisky is going to give this game away. He's a little bit more athletic than Big Ben was last year. Oh, and by the way, there is this thing called the Super Bowl hangover. Mm. And it's very real. While we might not think it's going to happen to Cincinnati, there is some form of hangover. It does happen. That's the LA Rams. That's a perfect example. We just saw it on Thursday Night Football opening night. The Rams got spanked. I feel real good taking Pittsburgh and taking the six and a half points. I don't know that they went out right, although I think they could. But I do like Pittsburgh to cover that point spread. And then we're looking at the rest of these system plays for the week. Love the underdog. Love the division underdog. I also look at, with the New York teams, it's very interesting going into the season with the Jets with Joe Flacco starting now that Zach Wilson probably isn't going to play until week four and Dwayne Brown could be out for a significant amount of time. Now you're hearing he might be in the IR. Does this give the opportunity to bet against the Jets throughout the next couple of weeks because they don't have their starting quarterback and they don't have their pro ball lineman that they made a move for before the season even started. So I'm interested to see what the Jets are going to put up. Are they going to lay up a dud this week with the backup quarterback in Joe Flacco playing or are they going to play well and keep the game close and maybe shock the world and knock off Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. It's interesting. I have no interest in it because it's just a higher point spread. But the part that's interesting is it opened at a four-point spread. 86% of the tickets are on Baltimore, so much so that the spread is now six and a half. Mm -hmm. I see value on your Jets and taking the six and a half points as a home dog. I'm not saying the Jets win. I'm not saying the Jets have a chance to win. I'm saying that number is really interesting. For a line to move two and a half points, Flacco won a Super Bowl. That's a competent, capable quarterback. Absolutely. Probably more so than the guy he's filling in for. Also, when you look at the fact that going into the game, a lot of Jet fans are actually more excited to see Zach Wilson sit for the next couple of weeks because he didn't play very well in the beginning of the season last year. So it gives him a little bit of time to play behind Joe Flacco, not start the season, get his feet wet, get to know the offense, get to know some of the players that he hasn't practiced with when he gets healthy, go out there week four against Pittsburgh and maybe shock Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh. So it's so very interesting with the Jets. And then there's the Giants. They're playing a very good team this week. I know a lot of people expecting things to shine for the New York Giants. Leonard Williams took a pay cut. Thibodeau's not playing in this game. A lot of their young defensive players aren't playing in this game. So it's just so very interesting moving forward with the Giants and the Jets going into the season. So I actually really like the Giants. Not one of my plays, but looking at that number, what I see there is math and numbers movement. That line six and a 54% of the wagers are on Tennessee. The line should move backwards. The line should move from six and a half to seven, maybe seven and a half. But instead, the line moved to five and a half. So that tells me there's smart money on the G-men. There's either big money or smart money on the G-men, or the house are totally comfortable being exposed on the five and a half Tennessee. I think taking the points on both of the New York teams, regardless of the personnel. With the Jets and the Giants, nobody expects them to win game number one. They both are playing two very good teams. The Jets playing Baltimore and the Giants are playing Tennessee, who a lot of people believe are still contenders this year, even with the losses of A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. It's going to be interesting. Maybe the Giants shock everybody and knock off Tennessee. I think the Giants have a better chance of knocking off Tennessee than the Jets knocking off Baltimore. I agree with you. I don't think they're both losing, though, Errol. I think one of them is going to win. I don't know which one it is. With Tennessee, I agree with you in losing those receivers. Did Julio ever really make an impact with them? No, Julio couldn't stay healthy. He couldn't stay healthy the last two years with Atlanta. He hasn't stayed healthy over there with Tennessee, and now he's with the Buccaneers. How long is he going to be healthy over there with the Buccaneers? I think that GOAT's going to put him in the end zone a couple times this year. (laughs) 
I believe he will, and I think they have so many weapons all over the field. They have Godwin, they have Evans. People are going to forget Julio Jones is on the other side, so is Julio Jones going to stay healthy? The man can't stay healthy. He's an all-pro, pro Bowl, first ballot Hall of Famer. He's a fantastic player. When he was on Atlanta, I believe for five years he was the best wide receiver. How many full seasons did Julio Jones have? Everybody looks at Dwayne Brown. He's 37, 38 years old. Dwayne Brown, for the last four years, played in almost every single game. Could you say that about Julio Jones in any part of his career? No. The only reason why the Buccaneers took on that because he took less money and he's playing with Tom Brady. Who knows what Tom Brady's going to be this year with his family problems. He likes to inject himself in his face, so he has a completely different jaw. And it's going to be hard you, to kiss his kid with. He doesn't look healthy. Tom Brady did not look healthy the last time I saw his press conference. So maybe he's yeah. not eating. Maybe it's stress. Maybe it's frustration. I don't know, but it is Tom Brady, so I'm not going to bet against him. I wouldn't bet against him either. Bad things happen to people that do, but I agree with everything you just said. What do you think about Miami, New England? We all know New England record in Miami for the last seven years, even with Tom Brady. I don't know how New England's going to stop Waddle or Tyreek Hill. They're secondary. They don't have J.C. Jackson anymore. He's over there with the L.A. Chargers. And their secondary, which has always been very, very good, and Malcolm Butler, he brought him back. Working at a fast food restaurant, he was signed by the Patriots. He became a pro ball player and then gets signed by Tennessee, and he completely disappeared. And now he brings it back again. Who knows? I have never been more angry at a Super Bowl than I was with that Malcolm Butler pick. I think there's going to be a a lot of surprises in the NFL this year. Two or three teams that we wouldn't expect to have the records that they're going to have show up and just shock everybody. Like, for instance, the Browns. They have Jacoby Brissett into week 11. So everybody expects that the Browns are not going to be a good team. And even though Jacoby Brissett is a decent quarterback, nobody thinks they're going to win more than four games. Who's to say Jacoby Brissett can't win seven games with that team, with that offense, with that offensive line, with that defense, and that that front seven? Yes. Yep. Good luck scored more than 17, 20 on the Browns. Browns, and that's a good defense. The New England-Miami, do you see New England, Bill Belichick, losing three times in a row to a team? I don't know what to expect with this New England Patriot team. Mac Jones, who everybody says is healthy, he's lost a lot of weight, he's in the best condition of his career, he did not look good. Their wide receivers, they couldn't catch a lick in a preseason game. What are they going to do against first-string defenses? So, I don't know what the Patriots are going to be this year. And going into Miami in week one, that's a lot of pressure, not on the Miami Dolphins, a lot of pressure on the Patriots to come out a winner. Miami, looking at the moves that they've made in the There's nothing that is blowing me away. Tyreek Hill, the Chiefs, outside of the Patriots, in the last five or ten years, have been one of the most well-run businesses in all of sports. The team that they built, there was something they saw that they did not re-sign him. They're not afraid to spend money. I'm very close to that team. I love Tyreek Hill. He's created some great moments, but you've got to believe that the Chiefs were smarter in that than the Miami Dolphins. If Tyreek was worth it, they would have kept him. They knew they needed depth at the receiver position. The Miami-New England one is very interesting to me, but I just don't believe in, in the Miami hype until there's a reason to. That's a difficult division. New England, I still believe, win nine games and probably come in second or third in the division. I think your Jets are a lot better than they're getting credit for. Oh, absolutely. Defensive-minded coach with good defensive personnel, which Mm -hmm. means he's probably going to try and pound the rock and protect the quarterback a little bit. That is not a bad Jets team. Their secondary could be the best in football. DJ Reed and Sauce Gardner and Michael Carter, who played very well in the slot last year. Bryce Hall coming off the bench, who is definitely a capable corner. Practically every single quarter that they dropped, seven of them, all of them were picked up right away. The Jets lost more 
more players in off the waiver wire than any team in football. And that just tells you what Joe Douglas has done in the last couple of years when it comes to draft and some of the free agents he's brought in. But the league. We haven't had good nicknames like the Sauce in a long time. Do we have any really great nicknames out there? No. The sauce could be great. Let him get a pick six in week one. Let the Sauce take over. Nobody is going to throw to him. There might be two or three looks the whole game they're going to throw to him. I think teams are really starting to really see what this guy does on the practice field. This guy's the first guy out at 4 o'clock in the morning throughout the preseason. He was out there first before the quarterbacks. He was working with the coaches. And this guy's the last guy to leave the field. That's not what you hear from a cornerback type of player. This guy wants to be a winner. Going into the season, I think teams already know that. Already figuring out that if you throw it to his side, you better be ready to throw either over the shoulder or don't throw it down the field because this guy can outrun you. He's long and he's capable of taking the ball away from you. So it's going to be fun to watch. Out of all the things going into the Baltimore game, week one for the New York Jets, the guy that I want to see more than anybody is Sauce Gardner. What he could do on the field and what teams are going to do against him offensively where he is going to adjust himself as a rookie and figure it out. I think he's a special player. I think the Jets haven't had a player like this since Revis. Who knows? Maybe Sauce becomes better than Revis. So I'm not going to say that because Revis to me is one of the top three corners to ever play the game. But this guy's got the length. Revis didn't have the length like this guy. This guy's six foot three. He's got the speed. He's got the leaping ability, the ability to run routes with any wide receiver in the league. I, I think he's going to be very hard to throw to, and I think quarterbacks are going to realize that really early, including Josh Allen. They put Stefan Diggs with him, which I would think they would be nuts to do that. But if they do, they're going to have problems throwing it to him. Owned Notre Dame last year, and there is an intangible that comes with players that don't go to Power Five schools. He went to Cincinnati, so they're kind of on that next tier, the American Athletic. They're in the Big 12. Yeah, they're about to be in the Big 12, although the Big 12, you could argue, belongs with some high school. Once Texas and Choklahoma leave. But nonetheless, that Notre Dame game was probably the biggest game of his career outside of the playoff game. And then the D-line gets a little bit stronger, right? He got oh. a corner eliminating half of the field. That's Revis Island. Put players on an island and you couldn't throw to that side of the field. And then the D-line's a little bit better. Absolutely. And, and the games to watch, I believe, San Francisco and Chicago – Bet San Francisco. I would put a boatload on San Francisco. There's no way Chicago wins that game. That's a seven-point spread. Oh, I would bet it. Even San Francisco going to Chicago, I would absolutely bet it. It's not going to rain. It's not going to snow. So I don't think there's any benefit on betting against San Francisco in this game. I would bet big money on San Francisco in this game. Another game, well, everybody's going to bet on Indianapolis because they're playing Houston, even though they're going to Houston. Nobody thinks Houston's going to be any good this year. I think they'll be in the game early because Houston played very well in the first half of the game all season long last year and then died out in the second half. I think it's going to be the same this year. I like Mills. I like what they've done over the last couple of years as far as their drafts is concerned. I just think they're rebuilding. The game to really stand out more than anything is Washington and Jacksonville. Jacksonville going to Washington. This is a good game to bet on, especially for Washington with the crowd over there. And Jacksonville just defensively, I don't know what to expect. They drafted Walker as their number one pick. I'm still questioning that number one pick. I'm still questioning some of the things that they've done over the last couple of years as an organization. I think Trevor Lawrence has a good game. I think he throws over 300 yards, but it's not going to be enough. I think Washington's defense is as good as any in football. I think they're one of the more underrated defenses in all of football. I agree with you 100% in their defense. Trevor Lawrence could throw for 300 yards, although not a lot of teams can put up that kind of yardage against Washington. They do not have a fantastic offense, and Carson Wentz is not going to make things any better. In mm. fact, he's going to give Jacksonville some opportunities. That's just who he is. Whether he tries to make something happen with his legs and he gives the ball away, or he just foolishly throws an interception because they were down by seven. But Washington's defense is always going to be there. That's Ron Rivera. 
his team struggle offensively. They are shut down defenses, especially against the run. He had to have Cam Newton on an MVP season in mm-hmm. order to actually put up points to be a dangerous team. I think that game's a coin flip. I don't see it being a lot of points. The over-under is 44. That's a tough one. I don't know what to expect out of Jacksonville defensively, but offensively, I'm really looking forward to ETN on the field. Yes. And some of those younger receivers and what Sunshine can do with a much better offensive-minded head coach actually is getting a little bit of respect out of the locker room. Urban brought me a natty as a Buckeye fan, but he just went into it the wrong way. His ego was too strong. I like the Buckeyes, too. They're my second team that I follow. I'm a Florida State fan growing up, but I've always liked the Buckeyes, and I followed Ezekiel Elliott and all the different players, some of them that succeeded in the NFL and a lot of them that didn't. I don't know what ETN is going to do in this game because I think Washington's run defense is one of the best in the league. I think ETN is short passing, high completion percentage. That's how he was used at Clemson against really good defensive teams as well. Don't forget James Robinson. This game may be close. I'm not in the business of picking games that are close going either side. Thank you, Wes. You're awesome. Say hello to your son and your wife. We will see you next week. Hopefully Chaz comes back with you and Hector. I'm looking forward to the winter. I'm looking forward to getting you on every single week for Moneyline Mania. Maybe we'll get you on the Sports Loudmouths and and talk a little betting on that show as well with you. I'm ready. You just tell me when. This season, I got all the time in the world. Sounds good to me. Wes, Mr. Worldwide. Wide West joining us, Moneyline Mania. This guy never loses. If you ever check his picks on this show, he's as good as anybody we've seen. And as far as hockey's concerned, when hockey comes back and you like to bet on hockey, you have to look at his picks and definitely look at what he does and how he variates the picks throughout the season. So we're very happy to have him. Thank God we had him. Chaz will be back next week. When we come back, we'll get into some NBA conversation as the New York Knicks look like absolute fools. And not because of the organization, but because of Danny When we come back, we will get into that here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy. I need a haircut, Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9. The Ally News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, which is Apple, and searching WWSRN or Android, and going to Play Store and searching us at World Wide Sports Radio Network. Now we're going to get into some basketball. Before that, I want to say I have been loving the weather the last couple of days. It's been beautiful. All you Long Islanders, all you New Yorkers out there, Are you enjoying this beautiful weather? No humidity. No heat. It is beautiful. A little breeze. You know, the leaves starting to dip and fall. You know what that means? The smell of fall is right around the corner. I am so excited for that. And that means winter. That means football. That means all winter sports. Basketball. Hockey. Baseball is at its end. We'll be talking World Series, hopefully with the Yankees and the Mets. If the Yankees don't lose their lead, which it seems like it's going to, and the Mets look like they're laying up duds too. So lots to talk about with baseball a little bit later in the show. But nevertheless, we're here to talk basketball. And Donovan Mitchell has been the talk of New York for the last four weeks. He's been the story. He's been everything. And we've been speaking about him every single week on this show, including the sports lab mouths. Donovan Mitchell by itself is a huge story. And a lot of Nick fans, including yours truly, believed that there was no chance he'd go anywhere but the New York Knicks. But I knew, when I know Danny Ainge has something to do with it, more than likely, 
the New York Knicks were going to get screwed. Danny Ainge has never liked the Knicks organization. He doesn't like James Dolan. He played for the Celtics most of his career. You know Boston don't like New York. When Donovan Mitchell, about five, six weeks ago, told the Jazz he does not want to play for the Utah Jazz anymore, everybody thought it was a sure thing that he was going to the Knicks. The New York Knicks thought no matter what they offer the Jazz, they're going to take it because nobody is going to win the battle for Donovan Mitchell because he wants to play in Madison Square Garden. Now we know what happened. The Cleveland Cavaliers won the sweepstakes for Donovan Mitchell. But now a lot of NBA front office people, including a ton of GMs, believe that the Jazz purposely screwed Donovan Mitchell and traded him to the Cavs purposely because he didn't want to play for the Utah Jazz. That the Jazz knew that he wanted to play in New York. He wanted to play in Madison Square Garden. He grew up here. His family's here. They knew. You know how we're going to dig it right into his hip? You know how we can dig it right to him? We're going to trade him to an organization he doesn't want to play for. Even though they're as talented or more talented than most of these young teams in the NBA. Because they have a lot of talent. Mobley, Garland, this is a good team. Kevin Love is still there. This is a good young team with Allen and Karis LeVert. They're talented, much more talented than the New York Knicks. But he didn't want to play for the Cavaliers. He wanted to play with the New York Knicks, and he didn't get his wish. And that has a lot to do with Danny Ainge. I believe it. I don't care what any writer is saying. I don't care what any analyst knows that Danny Ainge had no part of the trade, the talks. I don't believe it. He absolutely had his two cents involved in the conversation. We know Leon Rose wasn't. For some reason, Leon Rose had no information or conversation fully with the Utah Jazz. It had nothing to do with Leon Rose. That shows you what our GM, a.k.a. president, or whatever the hell he is, is doing. But it is absolutely embarrassing to watch an organization as prestige as the New York Knicks the most expensive basketball organization in sports, they can't land a guy. They can't land a superstar because none of these GMs, a.k.a. presidents, want to do business with the Knicks. Mm -hmm. And you negotiate with Gerson Rosas, who used to be in the Jazz organization, so they're going to have some ties. Now, granted, Dwayne Wade wasn't there and Danny Ainge, fine, but still, they have ties with the Jazz organization where he's not going to want to try to fleece them like he should be trying to in a trade. So that's on the Knicks in, in itself, but I agree with you. Danny Ainge's pettiness, ill will towards Donovan Mitchell definitely should not have been a factor into this deal because if you're a team that is rebuilding, okay, they just traded Rudy Gobert. Now Mike Conley's also in trade talks too. You should not be trying to be petty and present the worst for your player. Your player wants to go to the Knicks. The Knicks had good offers. They had more than fair offers, even if you think, oh, we should get RJ Barrett and six first round picks. Get out of here. No. And you got a third as a result of what you should have gotten from the New York Knicks or even some of the other teams that are in early on in the bidding process. Also, Donovan Mitchell listed the Heat the Knicks and the Nets is the only three teams he wanted to go to. Obviously, the Nets aren't going to do it because that would mean they would have to trade Kevin Durant there, but Kevin Durant's not going to want to stay there. Miami, Pat Riley, another guy that wants to be stingy. You're not going to get an offer there. So that leaves the Knicks, who are offering you some good young players, and you didn't take it. Let's look at some NFL organizations that were petty with their players and now are in shambles. Let's look at the Houston Texans with Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins. The Seattle Seahawks with all their players that they lost from their Super Bowl team. And now they're probably two of the four worst teams in the NFL. That's what the Utah 
Utah Jazz could be leading down by if they keep acting that way towards their players. No matter how well they did with the Gobert trade, it's not creating a good team culture to be like that. And you know the NBA. The players get disgruntled every other year, it seems like. This player wants out. Then two years later, he wants out from that team. You're not going to create a good idea. And nobody's going to want to play in Utah as it is already. So you're already creating a bad mantra for a, a city that's going to be very hard to do that. It's very embarrassing. Uh, I'm not surprised that the Utah Jazz and Danny Ainge wanted to hurt the New York Knicks. And the fans are sitting here today wondering why we didn't land Donovan Mitchell. Honestly, I'm not trading away R.J. Barrett. I'm not trading away Obi Toppin or Grimes and four or three unprotected first-round draft picks when we believe that even with Donovan Mitchell, those could be lottery picks. We don't know. Even if the Knicks received Donovan Mitchell in a trade, does that make them a top-four seed? It doesn't. It might make them an eighth or seventh seed, or they could still not make the playoffs. All it takes is one injury. And if you did land Donovan Mitchell, it means more than likely R.J. Barrett is in a Utah Jazz uniform. Utah got Sexton and Marketing, and both guys can't stay healthy. None of those guys are as good as R.J. Barrett and has as much upside as R.J. Barrett does. R.J. Barrett is really Donovan Mitchell, a bigger Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell's a better shooter, but besides that, R.J. Barrett is just as good. Better defender. Longer. Why would the Knicks trade their best young player for a player that's three or four years older than him and only is under three years of a contract? Who could decide three years down the road that he doesn't want to be there, and then they lose him, and those picks that they gave to the Utah Jazz become lottery picks? It doesn't make sense. Nope, not for that. And Obi Toppin at the same time, plus four first-round picks. Or them and... Obi Toppin could be special. Yeah, or him on his own with six first-round picks. Or all the other ridiculous trades that Danny Ainge thought were fair. And no. Obi could be their power forward in the next couple of years. Mm -hmm. He's athletic. He can jump. When he started last year at the end of the season, yes, he was playing a lot of the other team's second players. It doesn't matter. There were two games that he had 40 or more points. His basketball IQ is very good, so... He's talented if he plays. And a lot of the game changer of that trade was Grimes. And if that's the case, Quentin Grimes better start this year. If you didn't want to trade Quentin Grimes and that was the reason why you didn't want Donovan Mitchell, he better start. He better play 25, 30 minutes a game. We have to see what Quentin Grimes could be. If Quentin Grimes is as good as the Knicks believe that he is and he was the steal of the draft, it's happened before. Jokic, he was a second-round draft pick. He's one of the best players in the league. They literally had a Taco Bell commercial airing when he got drafted. (laughs) Nobody cared about Jokic. Look how good he is as a player. Maybe teams passed up on a guy that they didn't think could fit the NBA style of game. But the Knicks did, and he was drafted late in the first round. And that's up to you, Mr. Tom Thibodeau. You have a reputation of wearing out your veteran players and getting them tired in the second half of the season, and then not playing your young players and getting them into a rhythm. Learn from your mistakes and actually play young players. And that starts with Quentin Grimes and Obi Toppin. I want to see Quentin Grimes playing this year. On national TV, I want to see Quentin Grimes playing in those big basketball games. I want to look forward to the future of this organization. And if Grimes is as good as people think he is, his shooting ability is like Devin Booker. I think he's a better defender than Devin Booker. I think he could defend multiple positions. He's got the ball handling skill. I think he could do everything. He could defend the three, the two, and the one. Having players like that are not easy to find. And guys that could shoot like him, he's a fantastic shooter. And he could actually get to the hole. He needs to work on his left hand. We know his weaknesses. But if he figures out his left hand, this guy could be as good as any two or three in the NBA. 
I don't know what he is, but we'll never know what he is unless he plays. Three and D guys are the wave of the game in the NBA, especially taller wings too, which Grimes is, and he's physical too. He, Good range, great type range. range. Yeah, yeah, yeah. NBA type range in his last two years of college, and it definitely showed. And his defense is very good, long, perimeter-type guy, can rebound for his size, too, and does a very good job, and he deserves that chance to start. We saw glimpses this year. Yeah. In 2022, we saw glimpses of his shooting ability. In one game, he had 20-some-odd points. Right. He was a rookie, but he has to play enough where we can see his development. We saw him in the Summer League this year. He was one of the best Summer League players in all of the Summer League. I'm talking about every single team. He was one of the best players. Knowing that Quentin Grimes had a good summer and he's working on his shooting, which he doesn't really need to. I I think he's a fantastic shooter. And remember, if you know the story, Quentin Grimes was a point guard who couldn't shoot. When he went to college, he had to figure out his shot. He was shooting three, four hundred shots a day at the three-point line. Figured his shooting ability and he's become one of the better shooters out of the draft. You need to get this guy on the court, and you have to give him the opportunity to succeed. The only way you're going to justify not doing that trade, too, because Quentin Grimes was that centerpiece that everybody wanted, not just the Donovan Mitchell trade, everything else. You have to give him the opportunity to play. If Tom Thibodeau doesn't do that, he's not going to be a Knicks coach very much longer. No, I don't think he's going to be the Knicks head coach very much longer either. I predicted he was going to be the Knicks head coach, and I'm going to say after this year, he won't be the New York Knicks head coach. There's only one guy that's right for this job right now. And he is Kenny Atkinson. He was offered the Charlotte Hornets job by Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan offered him that job. And that's a good team. They're a good young team. They have LaMelo Ball. They have a lot of good young players over there. But he didn't take the job. He decided to stay with the Golden State Warriors for another year. Why? Now, everybody knows he's a Long Island native. He's from this area. So is Billy Donovan. Billy Donovan went to Chicago after he got let go by OKC. I have always believed that Kenny Atkinson wanted the Knicks job. He changed Jeremy Lin's game. Jeremy Lin became a great player because of him. You can ask Jeremy Lin. He speaks highly of Kenny Atkinson. Every single point guard that's worked with Kenny Atkinson said that Kenny Atkinson changed his game. Karis LeVert turned into a good player. And one of the reasons why he turned into a good player was because of Kenny Atkinson. Remember Spencer Dinwiddie, a journeyman? He became one of the better bench players point guards in the NBA. Now he's starting in the NBA. Kenny Atkinson is a guy that you're going to hear a lot about going into the offseason next year because he will be available. When we come back, we're going to get into some Aaron Judge talk because Randy Levine speaks out on a Yankee podcast for the first time since the contract dispute in the beginning of the season, and he said some very interesting things. When we come back, we'll get into that and all of the Yankees and the Mets here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Scene Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Well, well, well. Randy Levine, our man, the man, the myth, the non-legend, comes out over the week on a Yankee podcast and talks about Aaron Judge. Talks about the dispute with the contract where Aaron Judge decided not to take the extension for $213 million in the beginning of the offseason this past year. 
Then talking about the arbitration, which pissed off Aaron Judge very, very much. And now going into this unbelievable season that he's had. Randy Levine already has said that Aaron Judge is an all-time Yankee. Aaron Judge has been a Yankee for six years. He's already saying that he is an all-time Yankee. He has a chance to break Roger Maris's home run record. Yes, it was never broken. A lot of the writers are going to say it was never broken because the three guys that broke that record were doing steroids. Aaron Judge is a proven commodity because he's not doing steroids. He's just a six foot eight, 280 pound brute that hits home runs 500 feet. Randy Levine said there is no way the Yankees are going to get outbid. Nobody's going to outbid them for Aaron Judge. The only way they're losing Aaron Judge is if Aaron Judge decides he doesn't want to be a Yankee anymore. That they're going to go out there and give him a nice offer when it comes to a contract. Now, maybe he wants to go to San Francisco. Maybe he wants to play for his home team. Maybe he wants to play for Boston. Who knows? I don't know what Aaron wants to do. I don't know what his family, his wife, and maybe his future kids and where he wants to raise them. I don't know. What I do know is, why would you want to leave New York when you're the king of New York? If you watched what the Yankees did for Derek Jeter, the captain, the face of the franchise, as long as he was with the Yankees, on Friday and saluting him and giving him all these awards and the tradition that the Yankees are, why would you want to leave the Yankees to go anywhere else when you're a king here? Only Aaron Judge knows the answer to that. It won't be because of money. Randy Levine reassured me from my thoughts that Aaron Judge is gone because the Yankees are not going to give him the money that he wants. That's not going to happen. The Yankees are going to pay him. The question is, will he take it? He might take less to go to San Francisco. This will probably be his only big contract of his career because he started late in his career. He'll be 31 next year. He signs a seven, maybe eight-year deal with whoever he goes to play with. That's it. By the time that contract's up, he's 39 years old. He's not getting another one. So he has to make sure that this is the place or that is the place or wherever the place he wants to play, and he wants to make sure he gets the most out of that contract. He'll make the most endorsements here. We all know it's New York. If he breaks that Roger Maris's record, he's going to get a ton of endorsements and advertisements. He's going to be the star of New York. He already is. But it's really fitting, and it feels good to know that Randy Levine, who is usually the guy that speaks for Hal Steinbrenner in the beginning before Hal actually speaks for the situation of what Randy said, Randy usually speaks for Hal and, and says what Hal is thinking. Hal's the owner of the team. Hal runs the organization. But Randy Levine is the president. He's been the president really since George has been there. Randy's been there for a long, long time, over 20 years, as long as Brian Cashman. So I think that's fitting. If you're a Yankee fan, you should be very excited for that. He deserves it, deserves the money. The question is, what is he going to get? Is he another $300 million player? Are the Yankees going to pay another guy $300 million to stay here? With the organization, he is the face of baseball. And if he does get that money, you have to give him the captain. Yeah, and you wonder, too, the length, the per year, especially off this kind of season, too. Uh, might be a record-setting season for Aaron Judge. He has 55 home runs right now. His OPS is 1.092, so that's practically 1.1. His OPS plus is 206, which I think in the StatCast era, 
Only Mike Trout and I think Vlad Jr. last year were the only guys to accomplish that number. And Aaron Judge has already surpassed a lot of those totals from those MVP seasons, has 16 stolen bases, playing center field. There's a lot that Aaron Judge is going to want per year. And again, it's going to be a lot of big question of where is his heart? Is his heart on the West Coast with the Giants or with one of those West Coast teams? He grew up in that area. We mentioned the Red Sox too. I know you mentioned them at the start of the season. They're definitely going to be involved to try to steal them back from the Yankees, that Yankees-Red Sox rivalry. But the Yankees are proving here that they're not going to back down. And all you fans that booed Brian Cashman at Yankee Stadium, booed Hal Renner at Yankee Stadium two weeks ago, and also during the Derek Jeter ceremony, I was hearing a little about it too. If they bring Aaron Judge back, it proves they are far from cheap because now they have Garrett Cole, they have John Carlos Stanton on these big contracts. They're not cheap. I just think Yankee fans think no, that's a they have it, to yeah. open up their pocket yeah. every single offseason to prove that they're not cheap. No, we know they're not cheap. I'm talking about these fans out there that are booing these guys for whatever reason. Yeah, because Jacoby Ellsbury didn't work out. Congratulations. So one bad contract didn't work out, and all of a sudden the Yankees went to a different direction and are still winning games because they took a different approach. God forbid you want to just have a billion-dollar payroll on all invested in five players all at once. Yeah, that's not going to win every year, Yankee fans. No, it doesn't make any sense. But, again, that's the Yankees, and that's the organization they're expected to win, and that's why your best player is going to be available. Usually that never happens. And the last time we've seen that was Derek Jeter, and he winded up getting a hundred and some million dollar contract at the time. was one of the more prestige contracts you see a shortstop get. So I'm interested to see what happens in the offseason and where Aaron Judge believes he's going to go. But I think if the Yankees offer you $300 million, why would you leave the New York Yankees? It just doesn't make sense. You have an opportunity to be the face of the biggest organization in professional sports. They are sports. You talk about anywhere in the world, and you ask who the New York Yankees are. They'll tell you Derek Jeter, Babe Ruth, Mickey Mantle, Lou Gehrig. The Yankees are sports. They're everything to baseball. They have the most fans, most following. As far as the Yankees are concerned, there's a lot of concern. They're playing Tampa this week. They're not playing them very well. They're only up three and a half games from almost 13, 14 games at the All-Star break. What a collapse for the Yankees if they let this Tampa Bay Rays team catch them and win the division, and then go into the playoffs as a wild card team. It's an embarrassment. And right now, they're playing with a lot of injuries. Rizzo's not playing. Their pitching staff, their bullpen, they can't stay healthy. Matt Carpenter is not coming back anytime soon. They have to wait another two weeks for him to get an MRI x-ray. There's a lot to worry about with this Yankee team, and the Rays are getting healthy. This is a team that wasn't healthy all season. They're a very talented team. Their lineup is healthy now. They're hitting. The Yankees won four games in a row, and it didn't matter because so did the Rays. Their offense had five guys out all at once for a while, and the Rays struggled out of the second half because of that, but since then, they've played the best baseball. I think outside of the Orioles, the Orioles in the American League actually have the best record in the second half, but the Rays are not far behind because they're getting this offensive guys back and they've been able to manage it so far unlike the Yankees have been in the second half in terms of when they've had those injuries and that's going to be a big test for the Yankees going forward we were talking about it last week Aaron Boone looked like he was manager of the year for two and a half months and all of a sudden now he doesn't know how to adjust and that's a big problem for the Yankees he in fell the second apart, half man. yeah and that's going to be a big problem and if the Yankees do end up falling out of the division lead and they're in a wild card spot you might be kissing your managerial job goodbye mister especially if they can't get into the division game because this will be back-to-back years where they lost in a wild card game and this is a collapse you rarely ever see we saw it last year twice in the national league with the mets and the padres but beyond that these types of collapses where you're first and you fall all the way 
about 20, 25 games you lost to one team because the Rays were back 13 and a half games at the All-Star break. Toronto was 12 and a half at the time. So you're essentially making up anywhere between 25 and 30 games, depending on how much you're finishing it. Those kinds of things don't happen every year. And watch out for Toronto because they're right behind them. If Toronto could get any level of pitching with that kind of offense, they could be scary too because talent-wise, they were thought of as right near the Yankees. It's the problem is that a lot of their pitchers have underperformed, and we knew their bullpen depth wasn't great as it is, but if they can find a groove right in the second half, who knows? That Blue Jays offense is as potent as any in the league. It's crazy. They're hot too. They're 8-2 and two in their last 10 games. Tampa, they've won nine games in their last 11 games. They've been dominant. This weekend, this series against the, the Rays are so very important. The way the schedule sets up for the Yankees. They got Tampa, then they have Boston for two games. Then they have Milwaukee, another team that's playing for a playoff spot. Then Pittsburgh, then Boston. You have to be Boston. Because the last week, you have Toronto, Baltimore, and then you have to make up the two games against Tampa. We'll see where the Orioles are. They've fallen out of the playoffs right now, but they're still very good. And then the Blue Jays and the Rays, they're climbing. So there's I mean, your gauntlet. The next two weeks after this Tampa Bay series, they have to beat Boston. They play Boston six times. They have to win five out of those six games. They cannot lose the majority of those games against Boston. Boston is done. They're not making the playoffs. Now they have a chance to knock the Yankees out or screw the Yankees. I doubt it. Even on paper right now with the Yankees' injuries, they're not better than the Yankees. They can never take a rivalry for granted either. You and know, Milwaukee, the Red Sox want nothing more than to keep the Yankees out. And Milwaukee and Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is not good. They should run right through Pittsburgh. They're better than Milwaukee. The next two weeks should be easy for the Yankees. Six times with Boston, two times with Pittsburgh, three with Milwaukee. Going into the final week of the season, Tampa's schedule. They have the Yankees this weekend. Then they have Toronto. That's going to be a big series. They could go back and forth. That's good for the Yankees because if Toronto could win out and knock off Tampa and they beat up each other, that's good for the Yankees. But then they have three games against Texas, three games against Houston, and then they have to play Toronto again. So they're going to be fighting for that second place. That's going to be a tough dilemma for Yankee fans. The Astros or the Rays. You don't want to root for either team. If the Yankees just win in the next two weeks and these two teams just beat up each other, it doesn't matter to the Yankees. They lost last night. They have to win the next two games. So the schedule with the Yankees, it definitely bodes well for them as long as these two teams, the Toronto Blue Jays and the Tampa Bay Rays, beat each other up. It's good for the Yankees. As far as the Mets are concerned, they're not playing good baseball. The Max Scherzer scare definitely scared the team because they haven't played well since the injury. But Jacob DeGrom, we all know what he is, what he's capable of being. The question is, is what is this lineup? Pete Alonso has been in a slump. They can't get power in the middle of this lineup, and it's a huge problem. Anyone that was complaining that the Braves have this such easy schedule, well, the Mets are getting it too now, and they're losing a lot of those games. They lost the first game against the Pirates. They got blown out twice by the Nationals, and a lot of that has to do with a lack of offense. Really, ever since the game before the game I went to for Old Timers Day, they've had a lot of trouble scoring runs on a consistent basis, really, since that game. And that series, they were playing against the Rockies, so they should score runs, but still, they have not been able to hit well. It's really only been Canna, and then before he got hurt, Marte, that's been hitting recently. Everyone else is in a massive slump all at once, and then as a result, the Braves were able to catch them earlier this week, and right now, they're currently tied in terms of winning percentage. The Braves have the advantage right now in two games at hand, so yeah. not looking good for Braves the Braves are in first place. After to last night's win, I think the Braves are going to pull away from the Mets. That I didn't believe was going to happen. The Mets had the lead all season long. The last month, the Braves had had one of the best second halves in baseball. This rotation's been getting stronger with injury since the first half, and they're getting timely runs, and that's the thing with the Braves. They're a very good team, and they have a great lineup, and they don't even have Albies yet. When Albies comes
comes back. Just imagine what this lineup is going to be. The Braves have had the second most home runs in the league, and they've allowed the second least home runs in the league, and that's a deadly recipe going to the playoffs. Still, the Braves are dangerous. Could they repeat? We haven't seen a team repeat like this since the Yankees. Yep. Can they do it? They're young. They have the talent. They didn't even have a Cunha last year in the playoffs, and they won without him. They absolutely have the recipe to win. Now they don't have Freeman like they did last year, who was a very big part of their World Series run, but they have the power in the lineup to do a lot of damage. So the Mets are in a lot of trouble. It's not going to be easy this month because if you look at the Mets' schedule, they do have an easy schedule for the next couple of weeks. The Cubs, Pittsburgh, Milwaukee, the Athletics, Miami again, and then one game with Atlanta. That's a pretty easy schedule for the Mets. This coming week, they're playing every day. They have to buckle down. They need to win because the Braves, they have the Seattle Mariners right now. They have San Francisco. That's not an easy series. Philadelphia, that's fighting for a playoff spot. Washington, then Philadelphia again, then Washington, and then one more game with the Mets. This is a very hard schedule for the Atlanta Braves. And Philadelphia is fighting for their dear life, and they're not going to give it to the Braves, and they're not going to make it easy for the Braves, especially when they're a wild card team right now. So the Braves have a very interesting path to win this division. I think a harder path than the Mets do. So if the Mets buckle down and start playing a little better baseball, they can still win the division. When we come back, Speedy, what do we got? The return of the three-for-all picks, and then crunch time! Here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android World Wide Sports Radio Network. Great show. Shout out to Clay Ferraro, WPLG, Miami sports anchor and reporter. He was fantastic. Moneyline Mania. Thank you, Wes. I know Chaz is on vacation. He's dealing a lot with family stuff, including myself. I'm dealing with a lot of stuff with my mom, so it's crazy right now. Hopefully my mom's going to be okay. She's been in and out of the hospital the last couple of months, and she's not doing very well. So uh, Wishing her all the best. Thank you. So I'm, I'm trying to get through it. It's just crazy, but happy to be here as we do this every single year. As the NFL season has begun, we are going to have our three-for-all picks of the week. All right, we will do all 425 starts this week. We'll start with the Kansas City Chiefs at the Arizona Cardinals. The over-under is 53.5 for that one. I'm going the upset here. I'm going to take Arizona in this one. I actually think they match up very well with the Chiefs in this one. The Chiefs have a lot of trouble stopping the outside run in particular. Kyler Murray and that air raid type offense. A lot of short passes you're going to see. I think you're going to see a big game from Rondale Moore in this one. And the outside motion. The Chiefs secondary is all new all at once. I think this will be a high scoring game. So I'm definitely going to take them on the over. But the Chiefs still are figuring things out with their wide receivers. And Patrick Mahomes I think plays well but not well enough. I'll take the Cardinals on the over. I'm going to take the Kansas City Chiefs on the over. I think I think Kansas City, with all the weapons that they have, I really like Sky Moore. I like some of the acquisitions that they made. Juju Smith-Schuster. I think they're going to be able to score against an Arizona team that we don't know what this defense is. Last year, they were supposed to be a high-flying defense. They couldn't stay healthy. A lot of these players got into trouble on and off the field, if you know who I'm talking about. So, hopefully, it's going to be a good, fun game. But I think it's Kansas City's to lose. So, I've got Kansas City on the over. All right. The Las Vegas Raiders at the L.A. Chargers. The over-under is 52 and a half. 
I'm gonna take the Chargers here. I think this one's gonna be a blowout. I'm gonna take them on the under. I like their defense a lot, the way they improved in this offseason. Brandon Staley, second year in the system. I know they've had some trouble against the run last year, but the Raiders with their offensive line issues at the beginning of the season, Josh Jacobs was not 100% healthy in the preseason. I think he'll have a little more issues. And I think Josh McDaniels, I really don't trust that defense with the Raiders got worse in the offseason. I think the Chargers win this one pretty big. So I'm gonna take them on the under. I like the Chargers in this game. I, I think it's gonna be a fun game to watch defensively and offensively. I think both teams can get at you in so many different ways. As for Vegas, they like to run the ball with Josh Jacobs. They have to discover if they can run the ball against a very good defense. If they can, it could be an upset, I think, by Vegas. But if they can't run the ball, I think they're going to have problems throwing the ball. And I think the Chargers, they have Justin Herbert. They have great offensive ability with Eckler and Williams and Keenan Allen. They're going to be fun to watch. So I have the Chargers on the under as well. All right, last one is the Packers at the Vikings. 46.5 is the over-under for this one. Uh, I'm going to take the Vikings in this one at home. Uh, you get a healthy Dalvin Cook, an offensive line that's definitely improved in the offseason. Yes, there's still some questions with that defense, but right now they're a healthy. Zadaria Smith they brought in in the offseason. Daniel Hunter, a very underrated pass rusher as well. And the Packers, like the Chiefs, are still trying to figure out what they're doing with the wide receivers. I think Aaron Rodgers plays well in this game, but I think Minnesota stops the run. Packers offensive line getting some players back for the first time. It could be a little bit of adjustment for them. And the Vikings have always played them tough. So I'm going to take the Vikings in this one. It'll be close on the over. I have the Packers. I I do not believe Aaron Rodgers in game number one will lose his first game of the season. $50 million player. I know they have to find who their wide receiver is going to be this year. Their number one guy now that Adams is playing over there in Vegas. I really do believe the Packers and Aaron Rodgers are going to show up. And I, I think they're going to score. I'm going to take the Packers on the under. All right. And that will conclude week one of this second season's three for all picks of the week. There you go. And now, Speedy, it is time for Crunch Time. It's time for Crunch Time. All right, we'll start Crunch Time with some NFL. Week one action. We'll start with the Steelers-Bengals game. Buy or sell both Joe Mixon and Najee Harris. We'll have 100 yards rushing. I'm going to say Najee Harris will have 100 yards in game number one, week one. I think the Bengals are going to throw the ball more than run the ball. They'll start the ball with the running, with mixing. They'll fall behind. I believe they're going to fall behind against Pittsburgh early in the game. As crazy as it may sound, but I think the Bengals are the better team. I think this is going to be battle of the kickers, but I think it's Najee Harris that's going to get over 100 yards. I'm going to sell it, too. I think the opposite. I think Joe Mixon will get 100 yards. The Steelers had a lot of issues against the run last year. Stephon Tewitt retiring in the offseason, and yes, they're getting some linebackers back, but it's a new scheme. I, I think Brian Flores. Long term is really going to help that defense, but short term, I think Joe Mixon will get it. Bengals stopped the run well last year, and they're returning a lot of their front seven. Steelers offensive line still having issues, so I am going to sell it. All right, buy or sell. Number one, Alabama covers their minus 20 spread at Texas. Oh, absolutely. Buying it. I think they're going to kill. They're going to crush Texas on Saturday, so I'm buying it. I'm going to buy it, too. Texas, we always have a mantra of not winning big games. Nick Saban does not have the issues that Bill Belichick has with his former assistant coaches. He knows how to beat them, except for Georgia the national championship game. We know that Georgia team is loaded. This Texas team, they might have a lot of money, but they're far from loaded right now, so I'm actually going to buy that as well. All right, buy or sell. Going to the Buccaneers-Cowboys game. Mike Evans and C.D. Lamb will both have five-plus catches and 80-plus receiving yards. I buy it. C.D. Lamb's going to have an explosive year because they have nobody else to throw to, and Mike Evans is 100% healthy going into the season. They have great weapons in Godwin and obviously Julio Jones, which will open up the field for him. Mike Evans will absolutely have over 80 yards and five catches. 
Yeah, I'm going to buy it too. I like both with the target share. Chris Godwin might be still questionable, even if he does play, might He's be going limited. Play. He's going to play, I think, too, but he might be a little more limited where I think Brady will end up targeting Mike Evans a lot more. The Cowboys, not a lot of secondary depth outside of Trayvon Diggs, and he's allowed a lot of big plays. And CeeDee Lamb on the other end, too. If Dallas can protect, I could still think he's going to get those five catches. They might be short catches, but I think he'll end up getting it just because he is the only guy, so I am going to buy it as well. All right, one more big uh, college football spread. So 52-45, Michigan, number four. We'll cover against the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors, your favorite name. I absolutely think they're going to cover. Absolutely. The Hawaiian Warriors. Are we going to bet on the Hawaiian Warriors to do anything? What a name, by the way. So I'm going to buy it. It's not even a question. They cover. I know. It's your favorite name. I'm actually going to buy it, too, though. They're at home, Michigan. I know they don't have the great passing game yet, but I think they'll find that. They don't need it. They're not going to need it in this game. That defense is too good. I normally don't go for the 50 ones, but I'm going to go here. I'm going to buy that. All right, we got two more NFL ones. Kyler Murray will have more passing yards than Patrick Mahomes in week one. Absolutely not. I do believe Patrick Mahomes is going to throw more, and he's going to complete more than Kyler Murray in this particular game. I think Kyler Murray will have more running yards and more purpose yards, but I think Patrick Mahomes all in all will have the better game, so I am going to sell that. Yeah, I'm going to sell it too. I agree with you. I think Kyler Murray does have more all-purpose yards. I actually think he can get close to 100 rushing yards in this game. Uh, that's because, what I think too. But I don't think the passing yards, I think a lot of his passes are going to be yards after the catch. The Chiefs with a lot of rookies in their secondary and the Cardinals with a lot of guys that are more after the catch type guys with Hopkins suspended right now. So I am going to sell that as well. Alright, last one. One of the New York teams will lose only by single digits in week one. They won't get blown out by double digits. I think they both will lose by single digits. The Titans, I don't bet on them because I don't know who their wide receivers are. They're a running team. If you stack the box, who knows what they're going to do offensively with Ryan Tannehill. And as far as the Jets are concerned, even though a lot of people believe that this Baltimore Ravens team is going to run very well with Jakey Dobbins and obviously Lamar Jackson, we don't know where Lamar Jackson's head is. And I think the Jets are much more talented than people make them out to be. So I believe both teams. So I'm going to buy it. I am going to sell it. I think they both lose by double digits. I agree with you. The Jets are going to hang close for a while. I think it'll be close through three quarters. I think the Ravens eventually will just wear the Jets out in the fourth quarter. I have that game as close. Lower scoring. The Giants, I still believe, will get blown out. The Titans have a very good interior defensive line. Very good up the middle. And the Giants still have a lot of issues to fix with that. They were the fourth best run defense in the NFL last year. That does not bode well with Saquon Barr trying to return and have a big game and I just don't trust that defense either even with the Titans losing all those receivers the Giants secondary does not look good right now and two edge rushers probably out too for the Giants so I think they get blown out I have them losing 27 to 13 so I am going to sell it and ladies and gentlemen that is our show thank you to WPLG Miami sports anchor and reporter Clay Ferraro for joining us talking a little Dolphins football fantastic we'll have him on the show again on the sports landmarks or on the weekend crunch fantastic 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 personality. Uh, shout out to Worldwide West for joining us. Moneyline Mania. Follow this guy. This guy has hit on every one of his picks in the last five weeks. He's fantastic. He's one of the best handicappers in the country. So if you like to bet, you should be listening to that segment every single week. We will be back next week. Great shows lined up for you in the future with great guests. So tune in and listen to us as we are the voices of sports here in Long Island and New York. Good night, ladies and gentlemen. Good night.